Pray with me, please. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, especially the faithful and the few gathered here today. Lord, send your Spirit uh, to create and to renew and to restore, uh, like potentially the rain coming down later today, to wash away the parts of this world uh, that seek to cling to us and keep us um, apart from you. Draw us near to you this day, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to dwell on Psalm 1 today. It was the first sermon I ever preached in seminary was on Psalm 1. Uh, I've got a quote from a commentary here, but I want you to get on page 270 of the prayer book with me. Because I just want to point out a couple things. If you were here Sunday, this is the sermon uh, that I alluded to in my, ser- in my sermon that I gave in seminary. I said on Sunday in the sermon that I gave that in seminary, I, the first sermon I preached, I thought I did a pretty good job. And at the end of the sermon, one of my classmates, we sat in, in a chapel a little smaller than this, and we practiced preaching. And so I finished and thought, well, that wasn't bad. I mean, first first try. And um, after class, all the seminarians uh, who, each one of us took turns preaching. So if there were 12 of us in the class, I got to write up little reviews on the other 11. And so after class, what you did was you went up to each person in the class and you handed them your review. And we were really encouraged to be honest, you know. If their body language was distracting, say that. If if girls had long hair and they were flipping, they'd tell them, you know. Do give them good, you know, positive, constructive criticism. And so one of my friends came up to me and she handed me a piece of paper and she said, Gary, that was really an outstanding sermon, but I just have one comment. And I said, what is it? She said, I've never done well with preachers who stand up in front of the congregation and simply say, stop sinning. And apparently that was my message that day. After reading Psalm 1, yeah, there's two ways to live. You know, live the right way and, and, and be considered righteous. You know, live the right way and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Live the right way and God loves you. Or keep living the wrong way, keep living in sin, and you'll go to hell for sure. It's easy, right there in Psalm 1. Stop sinning. Right. Thank you for laughing. Right. Right. We, um, we don't do well with the law, we human beings. Uh, since being created in his image in the garden, Adam and Eve created in God's image, uh, we don't seem to do well with other people telling us what to do. Even those of us who've managed to, to work ourselves into places of self-control, whether it was in the military or in a relationship, or in, eventually it leaks out. We, we tend to bow up against the law. We feel scrutinized. Uh, We feel like uh, we're being restricted. We feel like our rights are being violated. And I'm saying that a little tongue-in-cheek because I think we've gone way too far the other way right now. But the law does that. That's what the law does. It it points out our weaknesses, and it makes us, uh, as Paul would say, kick against the goads. So being told, stop sinning, is, is useless in terms of our life of sanctification with Jesus. It's not helpful. Um, that reminds me of running a marathon. And when you're running a marathon, 26.2 miles, to have, at least in my experience, to have people in the early stages of the marathon clapping and saying something like, keep going, you're almost there, when you're on mile three or four, you want I wanted to stop and go, stop saying that. That's not helpful. I'm not almost there. There's 23 more hilly miles ahead. So it's, it's that kind of thing about the stop sinning that I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make. So, enough about that. 
Here's, here's a commentary. Here's, here's what a commentary says about this particular psalm from the Baker Commentary on Old Testament and Wisdom. Psalm 1 constitutes an unexpected beginning to a collection of songs and prayers since itself is neither a song nor a prayer, but a poem commenting on how life works in such a way as to constitute a promise and an implicit exhortation. That sounds kind of like stop sinning to me. Live, live a particular way because this is the way life works. Or suffer the wrath would be my little quick summary of what the Baker commentary means. I'm going to get to how I think the only way possible for us to live a life of not sinning, which we never can, but to even try to enter into a life of commitment to God and obedience begins with a certain mindset. But before I do that, I want to read a poem. I alluded to this poem on Sunday as well. It's the poem by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. Probably been a while since most of us have read it, although we do have a young up-and-coming high schooler here who probably have to memorize it uh, when you get to high school. But it's The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Most of you have heard it. Some of you may even have memorized it. Here it is. Listen to it in light of what Psalm 1 tells us about two ways to live. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. Peter Mitchell came running up to me after I preached at nine, and he said, you didn't add the concluding line to your sermon. It would have been the perfect ending. And as soon as he said that, I said, no, but I'm going to tell everybody on Wednesday about it. I took the one last traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You see, the road that the world encourages each and every one of us to travel on, whether it's our clothing, the way we do relationships, what we eat, what we drink, what we drive, where we stay, where we visit, where we vacation, all of those things, all of those decisions we make keep us on a particular path that the world said is the way to go. The world says is the way to go. Some of it because we live in society we have to be on. Some of it, occasionally, we have to merge into the road of this world while not losing sight of the road less traveled. Look at us. There's only about 11 of us here. I don't know what the population of Georgetown is or the surrounding area, but we're probably less than one half of 1%. Whether we realize it or not, you're traveling right now on a road less traveled. We've come together today because we believe the creed. We, we believe the prayers. We believe... God is leading us on a road. God is leading us on a road. 
Look quickly at the way sin works in our lives. It's right there in the psalm. It has kind of a three-step process. Um, It says in the beginning, verse 1, Blessed is the man who's not walked in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stood in the way of sinners, and has not sat in the seat of the scornful. The way the world lures us off the path or the road of true life, the road that we follow Jesus, is kind of a threefold step. The first thing that happens is um, we begin to think and listen to what the world's saying. We might catch a commercial. We might look at a magazine. We might be talking to someone on the phone. And then pretty soon we begin to agree with whatever it is. Yes, I certainly need a new fishing boat. There's no doubt about it. And we begin to stand with the group of people who think fishing or fishing boats, and this is no condemnation on that sport, becomes the primary or the most essential thing in our lives. I'm a fisherman. And then thirdly, we begin to walk in the way of our sin. And I mean anything that blocks us or anything that unprioritizes us from putting God first in our life. If you love to cook, that's wonderful. That doesn't mean it's ungodly because you cook three times a day. It just means if you don't give thanks to God for what you're cooking or what you're preparing or what's in your house, then you've taken the wrong first step. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Anything that gets between us and our primary responsibility to love and follow God. But it's a threefold process and it happens very suddenly. And it usually ends up with us standing there going, how did I get here? How did I get into this mess? Well, it probably happened subtly and it probably happened in a threefold way. The psalm tells us that the blessedness of following God on his path leads to a blessed life. And that those, or he or she, that follows this path delights in the law of the Lord, flourishes in good times and bad times, and the road ultimately leads to a place of sitting uh, with the God of judgment that we spend our eternity with God and with God alone, back in relationship with God. Well, here's my conclusion, and here's how I believe it can only be done. Uh, Telling people to stop sinning only leads to half of the gospel truth, and that is the judgment. God's grace throughout Scripture always proceeds his judgment. So what I believe my friend was trying to tell me to do with a psalm like this was, Gary, you can certainly tell people to stop sinning. You're a preacher and you have that authority. You need to stand in front of the church and say certain things are right and certain things are wrong. But if you don't lead with when you fail, when we fail, and we will in our attempt to stop sinning, we must never forget the most important thing, and that is that God stands there ready to forgive us. There's a difference. We don't enter into sin thinking, well, I'm going to do this and God will forgive me. No, 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 no. That's a person who doesn't even have faith, in my opinion. But when we fail, and we all will, we need to never forget that the road that we travel on, the road that we follow, is being led by the one who can forgive us every time. He's not the God of second chances. Thank God. He's the God of third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. And he stands there this morning, today, ready to forgive each and every one of us on this road less traveled. In Jesus' name, amen.